Okay, so here's what happened. Hi, it's me. I'm a gay, anxious gremlin, just like the rest of you. And I'm already a little loopy because A, I'm hungry. Um, B, the sun is setting by 4.54 p.m. every day, and it's, it is driving me bonkers. I'm sitting in front of my sun lamp right now, getting some of those megawatt rays that I'm not getting anymore because... The sun is hiding behind the clouds by 3 o'clock and is gone completely by uh, by 4 p.m., um, <laughs> which makes me really depressed. So one of the things that I like to do is sit in front of my light box every day for at least 15, hmm, no more than 30 minutes, because otherwise it'll get me too hopped up, hopped up on sunlight. I'm, I'm such a ridiculous person that too much light actually... Um, <laughs> makes me feel over caffeinated in a way it's it's bonkers i'm bonkers and you're listening to my bonkers podcast thank you so much the third reason i'm loopy is because i recorded an entire intro before realizing my microphone was not plugged into my computer uh which is why i need a a better producer it's me i'm the producer and i'm terrible and um And even though I'm trying to treat myself better, you know, give myself those daily affirmations in the mirror saying, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to put your stuff out there. You're doing well. It always turns into, when did your nose hairs get so long? Or something that I don't want to affirm. It stops being affirming. I hope you are all doing your best to stay sane as well during these holidays. Uh, I hope you're not traveling, going to Black Friday sales. The fact that we live in a society that's still having Black Friday sales, forcing people to work, forcing people to pay rent, not not giving any aid, feeling completely and utterly abandoned by the government. Um, it's probably how those first settlers to the New World felt when their government told them to get on a boat and get sailing. Get out of here. We don't want you anymore. I know that's not what happened, but the point is, I hope you are all making smart choices. I hope you're wearing masks. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you can see your family over Zoom. Um, because, you know, if you want to see them next year, you want to kiss your dumb aunts and your dumb uncles on both cheeks, you got to stay home this year. You got to make an investment in your future. Okay? I love you, but act smart. <laughs> I'm talking to myself mostly, too. I'm, I'm telling myself to make smart decisions, hoping that everyone else does the same. And you made a smart decision by clicking on this podcast and listening to it, because it's my first episode after my summer-long hiatus during the mm, height of pandemic, and I have queer horror expert BJ Colangelo as my guest to talk about John Waters' 1972 classic, Pink Flamingos. Um which is such a wild movie. I I watched it for the first time a few weeks ago to prepare, and I don't think there's any way you can prepare for a movie like Pink Flamingos. It's fantastic. I loved it. I'd watch it again immediately. BJ feels the same way, and we go into detail about why. Um, as a horror expert, you know, we also talk about... She is. I'm amateur. But um, we also talk about... Tons of stuff from 
uh, Divine's other roles in exploitation films to Carrie, to Dracula's daughter, to even 10 Things I Hate About You makes it in there because BJ has a wonderful podcast, This Ends at Prom, that she does with her wife, Harmony. Um, Harmony and BJ talk about teen girl movies and <laughs> make each other laugh and enjoy being freshly married. Oh, freshly married, jeez. Um, we also, you know, both bond over being freshly married ourselves. And I believe this is the first episode I'm releasing since I got married. So congratulations to my husband uh, for choosing this mess of a person to love and grow with and, and all that uh, and all that jazz. I'm not feeling particularly lovable at the moment, but I think uh, it's important to have people in your life who make you do feel lovable and make you feel deserving of love. So I hope that even though you can't see those people in person this holiday season, I hope you can find time to call them, to Zoom with them, and uh, show them how much you care. I love you. I hope your gay, anxious gremlins are all staying safe and not eating after midnight. And I hope you enjoy this episode on Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Okay, cool. Everybody and welcome to the gag, a spook cast where I, Joshua Simon, a gay, anxious gremlin, talk about queer things and horror things and queer horror things with my spooper special guest. And today, my spooper special guest is uh, an icon of horror Twitter, and you've seen her on El Ray Network's top five. Is that right? Yeah, and you've read her articles literally everywhere around town. It's BJ Colangelo. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really excited because when I started following all the horror people on Twitter, you were one of the first people that came up because I was like actively searching for other queer horror lovers. So, oh well, that makes big fan. That makes me feel really good inside. (laughs) Yes, and also earlier during the pandemic. You've been on, and I listened to Attack of the Queer Wolf, and we did like a, a watch of Candyman or The Wicker Man, or maybe both. We did. But I went. We did, we did a lot of fun things. Yes, um, we did. <laughs> we might have to go back to doing those this winter because it's going to be a long winter. Yeah, 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 it is. It's going to be long and lonely and cold. So we need to find joy and warmth wherever we can. Yes, and you were actually just telling me that you. Uh, teach theater at, mm-hmm. yeah can you go into what you're how you're using theater to do that in Cleveland? sure so I am a social emotional theater teacher um, so what we do is we use the art of drama to sort of help uh, youth deal with the drama of their their real lives uh, finding finding ways to channel a lot of the feelings that they may have difficulty navigating and putting it through art form because you know s- something that I love about film and theater and any sort of you know visible medium is that it allows us a safe distance to kind of deal with some things. I think horror is really good at doing that with things oh, like, yeah. like fear or even your own mortality. Um, you're able to sort of navigate those emotions without it having to be 
therapy where you're basically like, well, I'm upset about this and here's why. Um, you can, you know, put it in a monologue or you can watch another character kind of go through something similar and then you can kind of respond to that situation and it helps you with your own emotions. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, using theater as a way to teach emotional competency and empathy. I think that's really important, especially right now, because we're all living on the internet and oh, um, yeah. <laughs> that just is so decontextualized that everyone, and, and already with everything going on, everyone is on edge. So people are really looking for any reason to be angry. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not like there's any, it's not like there's any lack of reasons, but it does more these days feel like people are getting angrier and angrier at things that they're just projecting, you know, they're just, they're, there's always something else going on. Oh, totally. I mean, anger is one of those emotions. Um, you know, we, ha we as humans have like a, a couple set like universal emotions and anger is one of them, mm -hmm. but a lot of times anger is your body's way of trying to protect you from a different emotion. So it's your body's way of protecting you from feeling sad and like sinking into a depression. So instead it's like, no, we're going to break something because uh, crying is going to make us feel worse. So let's break something. Yes, we can't or, cry. So let us scream and smash something. And Exactly. Or, you know, honestly, when it when it comes to a lot of our, our social pressures, even happiness can be seen as a sign of weakness. If you're somebody who's like ultra macho and you know, whatever, you may have it in your head that like, I can't show love or I can't affection. Feel joy or, I can't feel joy. Or the boys will roast me, man. Exactly. Exactly. So then it comes out as anger. So it's, it's a really complex emotion, but I, I agree with you completely. I think right now, especially with how high tensions are, I think a lot of the anger we're seeing, I don't think it's anger. I think it's people that are upset. I think yeah. it's people that it's are a lot scared. of fear. Yeah. yeah. You, you just said it. It's a lot of fear. And um, I mean, you and I are so used to watching scary things, but a lot of people go out of their way to avoid horror. And a lot of queer people do as well, because, you know, a lot of them will say, why would I go into a genre that is so well known for, either not representing my community well or when they do represent it doing so in such a, a strange light and it's like that's mm -hmm. not what's really going on in so many of these movies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you watch them <laughs> like you I, I agree with you completely yeah. I think horror gets a really bad rap and I think there's a lot of misconceptions and preconceived notions about the genre because mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. So many people actively avoid the genre. And I think it's because they think they know what it's about. Similarly to how people avoid other people because they think they know what they're about. They think like, they know. And it's like, you you don't. Like, I'm trying That's not to be the... like MTV's diary here, but like, <laughs> you think you know, but you have no idea. Until you watch MTV. Like, <laughs> I used to watch Mad TV growing up. I, I was talking about that earlier today. I used to watch Mad TV and they had... Uh, a feature one of their featured players do an MTV diaries thing mm -hmm. but but his ho the whole joke of the sketch was like he's not that important so people just kept going <laughs> who who's that what <laughs> and at the end that. he's like you think you know but you have no I, I will actually no you have some idea now that you've, you've sat through you've seen the thing you've watched the whole <laughs> anyway MTV diaries what a throwback <laughs> I've been watching a lot of throwback 
mm, like comforting. reality TV. Yeah, that's comfort food. Yep, from like late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I mean, I watched right when quarantine started. I was like, what can I do to kill time? I know, watch every incarnation of rock of love and the rock of love bus and daisy of love i remember I that you went it. yes <laughs> you went on a whole rewatch and you and you brought all of your your fans and followers through with you was that was that fun was that a lot of was that was, a way to bring everyone <laughs> it, together <laughs> it was fun because those shows are just they're so campy and honestly, I think they kind of, um, there's a little bit of reminiscence to the film we're talking about today. Um, but ultimately, I watch shows like that and I find them fascinating because they're such time capsules of pop culture at that time, but also the acceptability of social norms. Oh my I goodness, mean, truly. <laughs> those shows are just nothing but other women calling each other sluts and whores yep. and a lot of gay panic, a lot of <laughs> trans jokes, like a oh lot boy. of just like wild stuff that were, you know, my, I watched my wife and mm -hmm. for those that don't know me, uh, my wife is transgender and she equally loves garbage like I do. So this wasn't <laughs> like a, oh no, my night is ruined. But there was like <laughs> this totally out of left field thing where there's like an entire episode of one of the seasons where the whole like editing plot is that they're all convinced this woman is trans or that she's a man in a dress whatever so it's all of them like speculating about her that there's was an hour-long episode there's like these shady as fuck edits of her like walking and like the music is like burr, 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 oh, to, like, the way reality tv is edited is so oh is so sinister but also so smart you you it's it's almost scientific the way they do it like like if you really? watch rupaul's drag race whenever they put in that um that the shaker block? the shaker sound effect the like the yes they don't and and also they make everyone wear the same thing for the confessional so that they can just put whatever they say into any old episode uh-huh it's wild so like we're sitting there watching this and we had these moments of like, oh, I remember loving this when I was younger because it was like all the edgy alt girls and then being like, wow, oh, I don't remember any of that shit. I watched Flavor of Love uh, growing up. I remember yeah. that. Same. I'm so happy it gave us Tiffany New York Pollard. It gave I us Bi Pumpkin too. Just like, uh. like, obviously it's her, but like that phrase Oh my God! It's oh, pumpkin! I should have said that more this Halloween at, at people who were acting crazy and throwing Halloween parties and such. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With with the with the mask thing, um, you were saying earlier that people uh, act out of fear and and other emotions that they don't want to express, and I think that this mask, this idea that that you can't wear, it, which is insane, if you could, if you just had a, a an ounce of human decency, you would understand that it's about protecting other people. Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people are stuck in this emotion of, uh, there's so much out of my control right now. I'm scared. I'm losing control of everything. Th wearing this mask under my nose, <laughs> like an idiot, is the only is the only thing I have control over right now. It's totally, it's totally that. And the people I call them like the chin bras, where they chin put them. <sighs> like all the way to the bottom of their face. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know, is this like you're grasping for 
individuality or attention because like you're so I know, close you're almost there <laughs> i know so many of us have been especially in struggling uh in quarantine have been struggling with the idea of like you know being acknowledged or affirmed or any of these things that we typically get in social situations and those are all going away now mm-hmm. so now it's one of those to me it reads really similarly to like when kids throw tantrums because they just want attention and they know for sure this will at least get me attention even if it's bad it's something i feel like there's like a little bit of that like lizard brain going on where people are like like because people know that they need to be wearing masks like if you're putting it under your nose or under your chin then you know it's important (laughs) yeah you're doing it on purpose so i i can't help but think that like this is like please i am desperate for human interaction whether or not they even are aware that's what's happening because our subconscious will bury stuff like real deep and it will manifest in very oh, so ways. all the all the all the big manly men who are like wearing it under their nose are really just waiting for someone to go hey man oh yeah it's okay it's okay now put it over your nose <sighs> It's like, because you see so many of these people that are going into stores, like, with their phones on and ready. Like, they're waiting for the altercation. They just want, oh my goodness, they just they want you to it. say something. They need that drama in their lives. because like Because they're, they're, everyone's, like, slowly losing it because we're not yes. getting those little interactions that we normally do. Whether it's, you know, looking at somebody the weird way or somebody making, you know, positive eyes at you. All of that's gone, and it's mm-hmm. making people do weird stuff. Very, very, people are acting very, very strangely. I mean, just when you think people can't possibly get stranger, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I could, I could talk about that, and I could talk about the election, and I could talk about so many different <laughs> things for hours. Um, but another thing that I could talk about for hours is just single lines from this movie I could talk about for hours <gasps> uh, upon hours. See, this um, is where my joy is, is, yes. is just talking about this movie and my, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of the religion, but I do believe in John Waters. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, and, and, and speaking of uh, religion and directors, as an Italian-American, I, I would love to wish you a happy Marty Scorsese day. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was very excited. Uh, Lindsay Travis did an article <laughs> about Goodfellas and storytelling through food. And I was through like, pasta. oh, yeah. you're just getting me right where it, right where it feels good. <laughs> gangster movies and pasta it's it's yeah it's every now and then an article is really I think you I think one that you wrote uh, hit me at just the right time the one about uh sleepaway camp and mm-hmm. um, who, who did you write that for uh I wrote about sleepaway camp for dread central dread central mm-hmm. um and I love that one and and you know you you talk about your wife and by the way congratulations thank you thank you our fun you know quarantine, quarantine wedding, wedding. <laughs> I showed you the balloons from mine when did you decide to because my husband's name is Brandon so it said BJ uh-huh. um, when did you get married so <laughs> this is it's a funny story. So originally we were supposed to get married in October. Like we had the the save the dates were out, mm-hmm. everything was planned. Right. Then this, you know, bullshit happened. Mm-hmm. And we told ourselves that we had to make a decision about, you know, either canceling it all together 
um, postponing, whatever we wanted to do, we had to make that decision by the end of June. Like that, because we're like, my family lives all over the country. They're going to travel, like arrangements need to be made. And we finally made the realization, like, it's just, it's not going to happen. And if we're not going to be able to have it the way that we want to have it, then like, let's not have have it at all like let's just you know do the legalities and call it a day because anything less than what we want is just going to be sad yeah so we made that decision we then decided um you know we should probably we should probably make it legal like do we want to wait till october what do we want to do and then the news report came out that uh trump was trying to make it so that uh he was rolling back the prote- the lgbtq plus protections in healthcare. Um, and we were like well we're in a pandemic right now so if that goes through then you know either of us could be denied service because it's not even like the wording in what he was trying to do is so vague that even if a doctor like thinks that you might be gay like you look a little bit outside of the binary for me i'm not treating you where you're like that's not good but we're like but if we're married we can at least advocate for one another because they can't, they can't turn one of us away. If like, you know, like if I'm incapacitated and my wife shows up and says, you need to help her, then she can advocate for me. Right. So then we're like, screw it. Let's just do it. We made the appointment with the courthouse uh, on zoom. And uh, the last day that they're the, the soonest day they had available was June 30th. So we closed out pride month by um getting (laughs) getting married over zoom in our dining room uh where you should have like marched around the dining room table if you have one and and called that like the pride parade (laughs) oh we were straight up wearing like gym shorts from the waist down because like they can't see it so we were not standing no we were not standing we sat there we had to like show her ids and like sign things on camera so we did all of that and (laughs) called it a day (laughs) nice um my husband and i were supposed to get married in may and so we luckily were like well this isn't gonna be solved by may we the the lack of of time we had to until the date made it a little bit easier to say okay we've gotta we've gotta Mm -hmm. push this and we pushed it to november which started (laughs) to come up and we're like okay looks like we are going to postpone again because People be evil. Okay. And Uh then um, surprisingly, we didn't get married after the whole Supreme Court. We were like, let's just get married on paper. Let's just do it. And my mom was like, you will not do this to me. (laughs) You will do something. I'm like, we can, okay, if we all wear masks, we can get married outside. And we ended up getting married in front of a tree outside my parents' house in Maryland. And the thing that was great about it was our biggest concern was not, you know, when are we going to see people? When are we going to have a party? When are we going to be married? Our biggest concern was there are people we want to share this with who are getting older. And we were able to have my grandfather who's in his nineties and his grandma who um, is in her seventies and they were able to watch us get married. So even if, you know, they don't make it to the, the big party, they will have, 
you know, seen it happen. And so that, that was the driving force for us. So we sat them in lawn chairs, like 10 feet away. <laughs> they e- they each that. had their own uh, sh- spot of shade, like uh, thrown by a tree here or there. And we put them, because it was September when we did it. And it was so freaking scorching. Like, oh, yeah, it was so, <laughs> I, if I could do it again, I would have worn less. That would be my only... <laughs> I feel I like worn my thought process behind most events in my life is if I could do it over, I would wear less clothing. <laughs> yes, truly, truly. Speaking of less clothing, oh, we didn't even mention what film we're doing. Ugh, I love, <laughs> I love when I do that. I'm like, let's talk about a movie. Tell me about your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. If honestly, so here, this is a this is a cute way to make it full circle. Mm-hmm. So, um. So we're talking about Pink Flamingos by yes. the incomparable John Waters. Right. And my, the first movie that my wife and I watched together uh, when we started dating was Serial Mom by John Waters. Um, I, because, that's the only other Waters movie I've seen. Oh, it's so brilliant. Oh, except um, Hairspray. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone has seen Hairspray. Right. <laughs> um, but she, uh, my wife, in, in the before times, mm-hmm. uh, at the bar that she manages, would do a weekly pop culture trivia. And a lot of times it was like, here's the anniversary of this movie, or here's someone famous's birthday. We're going to do it all about them. And it was John Waters trivia. And she was like, I, you know, I know a, a, a decent amount about him, but like, I don't know a lot. And I don't really know. I haven't seen a lot of his movies. I've seen a decent amount, but not a lot. And I right. was like, <gasps> this is my in, this is, <laughs> this is how I get this woman into my life. So I showed her Serial Mom. So on our Save the Dates for the wedding, um, it is a drawing done by Brennan Haley of Haley Doodles. And uh, he, it's, it's of us at the drive-in sitting on top of a car watching Serial Mom. <gasps> Which scene? Uh, it's just her with the scissors in the closet. Because oh, great. We're like, if I would have had my my way, I would have done Ricky Lake like deep sighing at every male tertiary character in that movie because that is just a mood. Um, but <laughs> I forgot that was basically what she did throughout that whole film was just walk into rooms, go ugh, and leave. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like she's either disgusted with your presence or she's in love with you. So and that's why that she was, was perfect for a talk show. Oh God, yeah. That's one of my uh, that's one of my favorite things is like get you somebody who looks at you like Ricky Lake does at every tertiary male character in Serial Mom because she's <laughs> perpetual deep sigh. Um, but yeah, so John Waters is like a has a huge influence on my life and you know is a a big bo- like binding agent between me and my wife. So it's you know even heightened. My nephew was John Waters for Halloween two years ago when he was like 11 because our family's weird and we allow kids to watch weird movies. My goodness, what did he use for the, for the mustache? Um, he used uh, a liquid eyeliner and mascara and then Perfect. he took a bottle of his mom's like essential oil droplets and wrapped it with a label that said poppers. <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. It's, it was incredible. Like, like with his, 11? <laughs> Oh yeah, he's 13 years old now. He has Twitter. He does oh, like lazy music covers. He's like out proud bisexual and says things like, I'm gonna make out with your dad. Like he's wild as hell. Um, TikTok has made kids very you interesting. You be crazy on the internet now. I, I remember coming out at 15 and it was like so young to mm-hmm. come out at 15 when I did it. And now it's not really. 
but it's, yeah. it's very interesting. So, so my wife transitioned over a decade ago mm-hmm. and, you know, not trying to like spill people's like medical history or whatever, but like she recently like got back on hormones after she's not pretty being open on them. about, yeah, she's pretty <laughs> open about it, but she recently just got back on hormones after not being on them. And the first thing the doctor said was like, you are much older than most of the people who come in my office these days. Jeez. And she was just like, oh my god but then it's also this like kind of beautiful relief where she's like you know when I came out I was like you know 18 19 years old and you know I was one of like the the super young ones it's kind of a good feeling that now I'm the old one yeah well now that he's saying you're the oldest trans woman I've ever seen and I've seen lots you're like oh (laughs) there there are so many (laughs) it's like this weird relief oh of course he was (laughs) that was a safe assumption to make (laughs) Right. I mean, it's so hard for trans people to find medical professionals um, simply simply for medical needs, mm-hmm. let alone uh, therapeutic or, or counseling. My oh, sister yeah. is a, a therapist and the majority of her people are trans kids. And she just released like uh, one of the first sex ed books to include trans identities. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it's called the Everybody Book. Every and oh, body, different words, and um, uh, the the drawings by Noah Greeny. Uh, Greeny, I think I might be pronouncing their last name wrong, but uh, they are a wonderful non-binary artist, and the the illustrations are wonderful. And I think that the fact that that book's out there, and they they are making more of them, and and selling out of them on on www target.buymeabook.com is just it is hopeful (laughs) that's really exciting and that's it's so important because so so much of it is just just not knowing and I think yes I mean kind of pulling back from you know going back to to John Waters I mean John Waters is one of those directors who you know he he put trans women in his movies yeah and he was kind of a trailblazer in that regard. And he did so not for like shock value or as a way to be depressing. I mean, he was just like, these are my friends and I have weird friends who do <laughs> weird shit. So you know what? If one of my friends wants to like show off their prolapsed asshole, then we're going to do it. If my- I think it was when the asshole started singing to me that I realized, or that I thought to myself, I'm so happy to own this film <laughs> because I couldn't find it. And so I bought a, a DVD and I'm like, you can't really own movies anymore. It's going away. And that's a little frightening to me. I am a strong prom- promoter of physical media because you're you're right it's getting harder and harder to actually own things things are are going digital but you know there's no there's no time limit on those they could stay on forever they could disappear tomorrow like oh god bites are just always being bounced around and it's so arbitrary it's on amazon one month netflix the next then Mm -hmm. it's only in the ukraine for a year right it's it's really frustrating and i think for for a filmmaker like like John Waters, I mean, it's I get a little frustrated. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I'm excited that Criterion has picked up a lot of his titles. I'm excited that Vinegar Syndrome has picked up his titles. I'm glad that people are understanding and respecting, you know, the art form that uh, that that this <laughs> that this person has brought into the world. Yeah. But I also get very frustrated because it's like these films were never meant to be 
this. And there are so many filmmakers like John Waters that make these really aggressively counterculture and artistic and, you know, just completely cutting edge films, but they don't get the same amount of esteem or regard because they didn't hit at that perfect sweet spot that John Waters films and midnight movies did because the culture that his films thrived in, they don't, it doesn't exist anymore. So the only things that we get now that are like quote unquote midnight movies are movies that are bad or like they're, oh, they're so bad, they're good. Yeah, yeah, or, B-movies or, yeah. or cult cult classic. And I mean, this is a cult classic, of course, but um, that idea that cult movies are also bad. Right. It's this weird thing where it's like so many people talk about the work of a lot of filmmakers like John Waters' contemporaries as like, oh, that movie is bad or oh, that movie is campy or it's whatever. And then John Waters is like, gets to be in Criterion. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad he's there. It's well-deserved. But so are the other weirdos. Yeah, and it's like, who decided that this was art, but Gone Gen was not? Like, who decided on, yeah. Yeah, I think think that Baltimore in the 1970s, I'm from Maryland, but not anywhere near Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can tell that because I'm pronouncing the T in Baltimore. I mean, John Waters is is the narrator of of this film, right? He comes in every now and then. I love hearing his his very young Baltimore accent when he's like, "You'll never know." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's so it's so perfect, and it adds so much character to an already just out of control cast of characters because it sets that tone immediately yeah it's and like baltimore in the 70s this is how it was and it, and it was for john waters because i mean it was on the fringes but it was he he said in the documentary um after i watched pink flamingos i watched i am divine oh i love that documentary um, it's, it's, it's wonderful oh it's beautiful um and he was saying you know it was such a melting pot of people of all kinds of races and sexualities class like mm-hmm. economic status um backgrounds of all kinds and it was through just the idea that they were all on the fringes of society that they banded together in baltimore and made this film and when people say oh, it was a bad oh, it was bad it's it's uh the, the acting is weird or the props are weird i'm like he had eight cents to make this movie right. in about 12 hours the, the, the fact that this movie is what it is, and you need to understand that the fact that this movie is the icon that it is after the trouble that was making it is, is astounding. People should appreciate that more than they do. I think the, the tenacity of John Waters and you know, his, his Dreamlanders and everybody mm-hmm. that he's worked with is never once was John Waters thinking about like, well, how can I make this appealing to other people? Like that thought does not <laughs> Never exist <crosses> his mind. <laughs> in his brain. Like that's not, that's maybe like 400th on the list of like, oh, maybe I got to do something to get money. But like, yeah. No. Number one, shave the hairs above my mustache. That is number <laughs> one. Wake up, look, look <laughs> under my nose for any stray hairs, pluck them. Uh, say fuck your feelings and then walk out the door. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like he's he he knows exactly what he wants to make, how he wants to make it, and if he can't get it the way he wants it, 
goddamn, he's going to do the best that he can. And the movies that he makes are so unapologetically him. And you can see the evolution in, in his filmmaking because obviously Pink Flamingos is super low budget, mm-hmm. is, you know, very much a labor of love. And then you compare that to something like Cry Baby where you've got, you know, Johnny fucking Depp. Yeah, but, and a budget. Studio and a budget, budget. Mm-hmm. right. Um, but ultimately, like, the heart is the same, I think, in both of those movies where it's like, nah, I'm doing what I want. And if you don't like it, then... Well, that sucks for you. I guess you have bad taste. And no, yeah, it's it's so admirable. There, there aren't. I don't think his brand of filmmaking really gets to exist anymore because it's. No, you get canceled for that. Yeah, well, one, you get canceled. <laughs> you get and, canceled. Not that that happens. I mean, Johnny Depp <laughs> is still making it. Exactly. Although that's become murkier and murkier every day. I mean, Mel Gibson. Let's say he he still gets to play Santa Claus. <laughs> Right. That's, yeah, that's a much better example. <laughs> the amount of channels, yeah, it is. The amount of channels that had to go, that Mel Gibson as Santa Claus had to go through, and the amount of Jews in California that had to be like, this doesn't bother me, is <laughs> wild I, to me. And and it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm like, I refuse to see any form of anti-Semitism. There are swastikas in this movie, in John Waters' movie, in the scene mm-hmm. where they're beating up the cops and calling themselves anarchists someone's wearing a swastika on their shoulder on their arm and it's not like i was like how dare they it's like this movie is has told you exactly what it is and it's throwing so many things at you that people consider unsightly or filthy but when you look at it you're like this isn't this isn't who they are this is who the mainstream hoity-toity people think we are they're calling us nazi anarchist you know crazy cannibal killers and of course in john waters movie they are legitimately hacking up uh, <laughs> cops and eating them which is oh such a sight it's, to behold it's but like you're getting a cab and eat the rich and just like whew, one moment all in one yeah all in one fell swoop <laughs> not since society and I, th- <laughs> and I think a lot of the, the imagery and the iconography that's used, I think is less, I think it's less of a sort of tell on, you know, John Waters and his friends and more, that's just kind of what counterculture was doing and was considering like acceptable at that time period. Like I think about like the Sex Pistols and how Sid Vicious frequently wore like a swastika shirt. Sid Vicious wasn't a Nazi. nor was that something he believed in it was just like this is an aggressive like statement and it says whatever and obviously not comparing or trying to draw apples to apples on this at all but you know when you and I were talking earlier about like watching like trashy reality television and thinking about like how frequently people would call each other like racial slurs or the r word or all of these things were just like totally normalized and accepted um i think during this time period like obviously yeah we all know nazis are bad (laughs) like that's a bad thing but it hadn't we hadn't had that like understanding of like no no no, this is really really hurtful because like punks were also using like confederate flags and all sorts of like iconography that now we look at and we're like okay we understand what you were trying to do and try like what message you were trying to send by using these these symbols but here's the effects of those symbols like that conversation didn't happen yet so 
it's difficult because it's one of those things where it's like, you're not apologizing for those actions, nor are you excusing it. You are explaining it and giving it context because it, it is important. Like if Pink Flamingos was made today and people were wearing swastika armbands, big problem. Like, that would be no. a huge problem. Yeah. yeah, it's like, no, 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 that conversation has happened. You know that that's not okay now. But at the same time, like, kids are out here spray painting it onto Mm -hmm. uh, synagogues because they think it's a funny joke it's like Mm -hmm. could we you know when did we stop educating people that this was not like a joke or are people just like over the idea that uh, that things are just off limits I, I don't it's again people being like you can't take control away from me I'm going to act out by doing something that I know is going to get a reaction right it's it's so it's so weird because it's like I think a lot of like the counterculture and like punk movements they uh they sort of did this thing where it's like the intention behind like the intent versus impact conversation hadn't happened yet Whereas, like, now I think the people who do that sort of things and, like, the 4chan trolls, like, they know what they're doing. 100%. Oh, yes. Yes, they want to be fed by your anger, by your, you know, mm-hmm. they want you to get riled up. I think one of the best ways to interact with them is to, is to heighten their, <laughs> I found that it's, if you heighten their crazy, like, their bullshit and agree with them, they have no power like mm-hmm. if they're like you're gay and you're gay as shit i'm like i am gayer than shit oh my god you see me oh do you want to go get coffee do you want to do a community theater production of chicago like what's going on and they back off because they're like this person is not giving me what i want it takes it takes the power away and it's it's very like the idea of like reclaiming things is also just so fascinating to me um i feel like john waters is doing some of that in this movie i think i absolutely think so um like i there's a picture of my wife and i where we're both wearing shirts and i know some people are not okay with the words i'm about to say so if you don't like the f slur i'm sorry um but her shirt is pink with like or it's black and white with pink vinyl like hand-stitched vinyl lettering that says faggot and mine is like baby pink and like in bright black letters says fag and we got them because I was working at a newspaper um it was an alt-weekly but you know it's still it's still a newspaper and um one of the most common things that would happen as these like people in Ohio that didn't like what I had to say would comment on the articles online and either call me a fag or my wife a fag or they would call me like a tea slur fucker and it got to the point where I was just commenting back like thank you for noticing oh my god (laughs) like wow you figured it out good job sleuthin and it's really hard for somebody to like see you know a a cis and trans woman in a clearly gay relationship if you see faggot in 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 pink vinyl stitching yeah are you gonna not know well, yeah, but, like, are you going to be able to call me that? Because I'm just going to look down at my shirt and go, oh, congrats, you can read. Like, <laughs> this doesn't hurt me. And I, I agree. I think I think with Pink Flamingos, there is a little bit of this weird reclamation that's going on because they do and say awful things and do and say awful things to each other. And it's done so in kind of this, like, well, no one hears the weirdo. There's no there's like this fake competition of you know who's the filthiest and ultimately it's like it doesn't matter it doesn't fucking matter (laughs) like yeah like gremlins (laughs) 
that's the thing is that I, uh, sometimes people are like, why don't you talk about the plot of your movies? I'm like, this movie doesn't exactly have a, a ton of plot. There are, there's Divine and she is playing Babs Johnson and she's mm-hmm. filthy and she lives in a trailer in, in Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix, Maryland, which I have been to. And yes, it does look exactly like that. An empty field, single trailer. <laughs> I've, not, I've never <laughs> been, so thank you for confirming. Just, just confirming that that wasn't heightened. Um, but everything else, of course. And, and then she's got this rivalry with the Marbles, Connie and Raymond Marbles, and they're trying to be filthier. I love, <laughs> I love when they are interviewing a potential employee and they say, as you know, we, we run a baby ring. Like, it's right? so casual. <laughs> like, as you know, we've got a couple of kidnapped ladies in the basement and we... And we make them have babies. And everyone's like, yes, yes, we all know yes, this. This is Baltimore. We, you're, you're, the, you're the best known baby ring in town. And there are five. I, I have such an affinity for Connie Marble. Like, don't get me wrong. Mink Raymond Stoll. is, Let's love Raymond is great. Stoll. But Mink Stoll, yes. So I have, a, I have such a love for Mink Stoll for a couple of reasons. One, the because <laughs> the, the name is incredible. But also the fact that, like, Mink Stoll is, you know, probably outside of divine um john waters is like most frequent collaborator and you know she's she's always there and she's been there through you know through it all um and she commits so hard to anything and everything that she is given her commitment level is is aspirational i don't know if you've ever seen any of the eating out movies but she is in a couple of them yes i have she plays a horny aunt for my listeners uh uh highly recommend great and she's so horny (laughs) she's so wonderful and she she continues to act in films like the eating out series or like she's in all about evil and like a Mm -hmm. bunch of these movies that you know really definitely they've got that inspiration from john waters and she's like nope we're gonna keep it going we're gonna keep this train rolling and also i've met her because she frequently comes to the cinema wasteland convention here in cleveland and she's just so nice I mean, talking about, um, you know, my nephew earlier who dressed like John Waters, one of his first, like, baby pictures is his parents went to the convention after he was born, and she held him. So, like, there's a picture of him being held by Held by Mink Stoll. Like, this child was born to be this grotesque monster that, you know, he is in the the best way possible. But beautiful. Connie Marble is just, ugh, God, I love her so much. I mean, Raymond has his, you know, he has his vices. He enjoys going to the park. There's something very whimsical about his penis with a a, a, a much longer kielbasa tied to it. It's so funny. Like, of all the ways that you would try to draw attention to your penis, like, I'm going to physically tie yes. um, another phallic object to my own penis. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the idea that he's like, going around to the park and this trans woman is like well here's my dick and he's like what and the thing is i've gotten into an argument with people about this before so some people are always like i think that that's so exploitive and i can't believe oh my gosh so a couple things elizabeth coffee 
was a friend of John Waters. Yes. So they're friends. And she was like, yeah, I'm down. So like, there's that <laughs> number one. Uh, number two, something a lot of people don't know is um, when they were casting for Dog Day Afternoon, um, she was one of the options. And then they decided no, because she quote unquote, looks too much like a woman. Um, so, you know, we got Chris Sarandon, who Sarandon, yeah. we know I love very deeply. Um, but recently, in the last like five years or so, there's this this article or this you know, clickbaity thing that'll go around pretty frequently, but uh, it's it was an article from a, a trans woman who's like, every time somebody sends me an unsolicited dick pic, I send one back. And <laughs> in my head, I was like, that is the modern version of, of that scene in flamingos. So whenever people are like that's that would never happen, I'm like bullshit. It does, and it's <laughs> it, and it's brilliant then too. It's like if you're gonna be a worked then works now. Yep, it's like you're gonna be a dickhead to me. Well, you know what? Like two can play at that game. It's like here's oh, the head of a dick. Incredible, the uh, confidence. Oh, I wish I had it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, the confidence of Divine walking down the sidewalk. Uh, there's just a scene of her walking down a crowded sidewalk and they don't have many other like crowd scenes because they couldn't afford to shoot them so I think right I mean correct me if I'm wrong it, it seemed like John Waters was just in the passenger seat of a car uh -huh. filming her walk down the street and was getting real reactions from people and nowadays and it is obvious that it is real reactions like yeah. the look of pure disgust some of these like random I don't know Baltimoreans is that Baltimore Baltimoreans, I say no, Baltimoreans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like tr because Divine is somebody that you have to witness. Like mm -hmm. she is an experience, and at this point in you know in the career, like this is not. She's only twenty seven when she does this. It's yeah, this isn't beginning. Divine as we as we know her, where people would like stop on the street. Like like if you look at it today, if we were just you know walking around and somebody who had been on like rupaul's drag race came by yeah just walked on the street like oh my <gasps> god hello it's Derek barry i don't know why i came up with Derek barry <laughs> well then i wouldn't recognize her you on the might street. just see britney spears yeah right? i would just be like i saw britney spears <laughs> on the street today <laughs> um but when it comes to like divine like you know not only did that sort of normalization not exist yet but divine is also you know she's she's not a fishy queen she is going for like an aesthetic she is a force to be reckoned with and watching watching her just like strut down that sidewalk and people look on in like abject terror or curiosity or fascination is just beautiful because it's yeah. it's such like john waters is sending such a message with that not even just in like the look at this bad bitch who is not <laughs> letting anything get to her but also look at how sexy yet, it is look how sexy it is and also look at how the rest of the world is responding and how she cannot be bothered like yeah. that is that's the true power <laughs> yeah i mean they said in the documentary how uh the confidence was like she was she was both sexy and repulsive and she really enjoyed that aesthetic and and in real life you know she was very kind and unassuming but on stage she really embraced the trashy and was like this is who people think I am so I'm going to give it to them mm -hmm. and in a way reclaiming that and 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 making a confident character out of that was was her way of of you know responding to those people I think that when 
you know, Glenn Milstead was out of drag as divine. He was, he was very quiet and he had all these vices. And I think he was really using divine to respond to the, the way people had treated him all his life. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've heard that sort of read from a lot of my friends who do drag or burlesque or, Mm -hmm. you know, any, any sort of performance that requires you to sort of take on a character. And a lot of them say the same thing where, you know, there's a little bit of them in the character and then just amped up to like a thousand. Right. And I think that that's, that's really powerful. And I think that for somebody, you know, like Glenn Milstead, you know, divine was an, was, was a necessity. Like it's, it's something that, you know, you got to do in a weird way. I'm kind of going back into like, you know, what I do with teaching. And it's like, so many of my kids will not tell me how they're feeling, but you get them doing a slam poem and I get all of that truth. It comes out immediately. And I think that's kind of what divine is. It's like, you know, be honest. Yeah, it's this character that has to be like, here's how I really feel. And here's what I really want to say, but I can't. But when I have, you know, this, this persona on, I can. And, you know, that's also really inspiring. And also just Glenn Milstead and, you know, as, as a performer and then Divine as a performer are just so impressive to watch because again, there's also that, that commitment, um, like there's a there's a non John Waters movie that I love called Lust in the Dust. Yes, where, I oh, saw that. I they 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 cover that in the documentary. I'm like, I need to see this. Movie. It is so fun and so like, and it's also just really wonderful because she's also not playing like a drag character. She's no, playing a she's woman. just a woman. And and they they comment on how Divine was just kind of getting roles as women, and then later in the career was like, well, that's a character I play. Why don't I try playing roles as men? And mm-hmm. did both. Yeah. And was like, he always wanted to be a character actor. And it's it's so impressive. And it's it's really magical. And I think that before before John Waters you know, put Divine in films and, you know, made the the types of films that he did, I don't think people realize that that's an option. <laughs> like that you can you can do you can that. Do whatever you want in the movies. Yes. Yeah, you you can have an entire movie of Elvira and it will be great and people will love it. Like that's people, a drag character. <laughs> you don't need a script. No, the script is actually good. I think uh, for Elvira, um, the jokes, because I think, because Cassandra Peterson wrote that script with a couple people. Yes. And she was like, this is what Elvira, like it's so obvious for performers like Divine, for characters like Elvira, you need them in the room because they know who they are. Mm-hmm. They, and they will they tell you what they the would character. do in these situations. Yeah, yeah it's their creation. I, in both. <laughs> <laughs> I did love. I did love how, frankly, how horny Elvira was too. <laughs> oh, that's always, always a good thing to have. I love like unapologetically horny characters. Which I mean, this movie's full of them. There's a lot of sex There's and a, a lot, lot of sex. Like, I, fucking and licking and the I mean unsimulated artificial insemination mm-hmm. uh yes blowjobs fellatio uh chicken murder like yeah, actual chicken, animal murder chicken um, murder fucking there there's a lot in this movie that's just like oh my god like they just filmed it they were just like yeah. here's and of course, everyone wants to talk about the ending, the the dog shit ending, to the point where Divine would just stop answering questions about it. 
<laughs> she was like, I'm, because I, there's nothing to it. Is it's what's like, so funny. I ate shit. What about it? <laughs> right. It's like I did it. Like we followed the dog. We waited for it to shit. I ate it. Like there's it took nothing four else. Four hours. To it. Yeah, and this the, can't I think, be my whole life from now on. I think there's just there's so many people that like it's so mind blowing to them that that happened that they have they they can't process that like that's all it is like there was no message no like like she was the she's the filthiest person alive of course she's gonna eat dog shit like yeah. and not only not <laughs> only is she the most interesting uh, woman alive but she's also the filthiest actress. <laughs> And then she eats dog shit. What do you want to know? Right. Like, the, there's nothing more to it. But people are like, but what was your motivation? What were you thinking? And it's like, I was thinking, I was thinking I'm going to eat dog shit. Dog shit. Like, what else do you want? Um, and like, but then no one's going to be like, what was it like to lick every object in a room that probably wasn't cleaned or disinfected? Oh, when I saw that happening, I'm like, oh, that was not a fun day of filming. No. All, all I could think about is like the dust. Because, like, you can wipe your hand across something and you're like, oh, that's gross, and wipe it away. But if you, like, coat your tongue with that, like, blah. Yeah, like what you were saying about commitment. When you talk about commitment, not only does Divine make, not only does Divine commit like a motherfucker and make it her own, but she gets other people, like, she draws other people to do it with her. She is a a beacon for for Mm -hmm. the freaks and the monsters who didn't have anywhere else to go. And I think one of the unfortunate things is right after you know when when glenn milstead died in 1988 the little mermaid came out in 1989 and yeah. famously you know divine got disneyfied to to be a, a villain and uh, you know people watching the disney movies and people listening to divine disco tracks are we're not exactly the same group but eventually we learned yes Ursula was based almost entirely on the character of Divine. Right. Just just really uh, cleansed and made into the villain. And I think that might have hurt the the legacy that she could have had through the 90s and 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 the aughts when I was growing up cuz you didn't really see a lot of 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 that kind of living out loud in the 90s and 2000 to 2003. <laughs> I've always been, and I know that this is like an unpopular opinion, so I've always been, um, I wouldn't say like a fat kid because there's definitely moments in my life where like I hit puberty really, really early. Mm -hmm. Um, So even when I was like definitely not fat, I thought I was fat. And now like as an adult, like I'm straight up just fat. um but I've always felt that Ursula is like the most misunderstood character because um, oh very much so I don't read her as the villain she's right like she's telling you know Ariel like uh don't go messing around with this boy you just met him (laughs) like first off let's let's back up there Second of all, like she's been, she's a woman who's been scorned and done wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is like, she's so confident and she is just like oozing with like, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm taking what's mine. And it's like, you know what? I, I can't, I can't see you as a villain. And there's a, um, there, there's a slam poem that I've always really liked called Dear Ursula. And it's somebody Ooh. like, it's a, it's a fat woman, like pretty much paying homage um to the character and how the first represent first and only representation she ever saw herself in was ursula like the sea witch and um 
it was like, wasn't it enough that they made you a witch that you were already beyond the bounds of their franchise royalty? They expected little girls to recoil from the wicked inside your laugh when instead they worshipped your honesty. Oh. And it's snap, like... Snap, 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 snap. Right, just all the snaps, all the, all the snaps. I love that because people were drawn to Ursula and people are often drawn to the Disney villains because they're just so much more interesting. Oh, there's so much more interesting. There's so much life and, and history and, and you want fun. to like, you, fun. You go on like any like makeup blogger, like people who do like Disney princesses, they, they do that as cosplay. But like makeup artists, like they do villains because they're like, no, this is where they, the personality is. This is, you know, this is where the life is. And I agree with that. And I think it's similarly to why I think so many... Uh, queer people who do gravitate towards horror, we tend to identify with the villains. Or mm -hmm. if not the villains, then, you know, the, the final girl, even if we're not the final girl, because we are drawn to those characters that are, like, larger than life and just yeah. vibrant and... But also know. often misunderstood, pushed aside. Yep, absolutely. Fought against. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of those trends, I think they go back to this, this idea that John Waters kind of put out into the world of like, like, I love John Waters' idea of beauty. I love his idea of aesthetic because, you know, we, we didn't get to talk about like Edith Massey, like the egg Oh yeah. Yet. And how he but says, she, I love filth and everything that people think is nasty. I love. And he, and and he, he writes that monologue as, and Divine says as much later in the movie. Yeah, and he and he means it. Like when he says mm -hmm. that he thinks that someone like Edith Massey, who, you know, she was she was older, she's she's a fat woman. Right. She just she worked nearby in a bar. Yeah, she doesn't have perfect teeth. She is you or know, line delivery, but who cares? <laughs> no, she can say whatever she wants. I love her forever. That's true. She forever. could say <laughs> she could say anything in her delivery because cause it was like John Waters saw that in her. When he met her, he was like, I envision this this wacky character for you and she sits in a crib and and and, and is in love with eggs and the man who delivers them to her yeah. it's simple it's beautiful it's a non fetishized fat woman in lingerie uh, uh -huh. who's it, who's older maybe and it's like no this is just you know this is just something that people just assigned a certain aesthetic level to without really caring and no i refuse that I refuse that normalcy. Mm -hmm. And I, it's it's so interesting to me because it's like, you know, you don't, you can have lovable characters that don't look like every single character that came before them. You can have leading characters that are not, you know, squeaky clean people that are, you know, kind of monstrous <laughs> in, in the things that they do between, you know, having <laughs> baby rings and <laughs> whatever. And I think that that's so interesting because it's, this weird swing into like no this is this is what makes us human because he also has he also has characters that fit kind of you know more like conventional appearances like it's not like he just went and found like who is the most non-traditional looking person in Baltimore is like no he had like a variety of people yeah and, and if he wanted to make him weird he dyed their hair and pubes a crazy yeah, color exactly and he just kind of put them all together and it was like no because this is this is the world and this is what I love and these are the people that I love and this is the fun that we're going to have. And I, I just, I love that about his films because I think 
a lot of that gets lost. I think a lot about how, I mean, you, you understand this as somebody who also does theater. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think about how many roles have I lost because I didn't look the part, not have nothing to do with my talent or anything to that regard, but specifically because I didn't look a certain way. And John Waters doesn't really have that. Like the, the only times that he ever has quote unquote look is if like the story needs it. So mm-hmm. like you can't do hairspray with a skinny Tracy Turnblad. You just yeah. can't. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. So in that regard, yeah, you have to have a character look a certain way. But otherwise, he just he picks people that he that he likes, that he wants to work with, that he thinks are interesting, that he thinks can do it well or people that even if they're not actors that he thinks are interesting like yeah it's patty hurston movies because he's like fuck it why not have you heard of her she's great right and it's like that is that was the wildest news story and he's like oh she's never not going to be in my movies (laughs) this this wild woman uh and 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 it's not like he doesn't know what normal what kind of normalcy is expected because Mm -hmm. he sets up the someone's interviewing uh for connie um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Miss Sandstone. Yes, Miss Sandstone. I love that that was his like idea of nor- like just get her in brown, all the brown, put her in brown jewelry, brown hair, brown earring, brown skirt, and call her Miss Sandstone. She is gonna be the most boring lady. You're gonna wish she would go away. And I did. I did. <laughs> I was like, more Connie, less Miss Sandstone, please. <laughs> And that's, and I just also just love how they push her away too. It's just like, I guess there's two kinds of people, Miss Sandstone, my kind of people and assholes. And it's rather <laughs> obvious which category you fit into. And it's just like, oh, yeah. Don't you wish you could say that to so many people? There and it's are like so Divine many. Da- did. There are so many lines from just John Waters films in general Mm -hmm. that I wish that I could get away with saying um like (laughs) assholeism assholeism is a good one there's one from female trouble it's also it's also a mink stole where it's I wouldn't suck your lousy dick if I was suffocating and there was oxygen in your walls (laughs) like (laughs) oh my god (laughs) pure poetry John Waters pure poetry oh my god goodness gracious i love that i love it's, that so much it's beautiful and you know that's also where you know we get edith massey saying the, the life of a heterosexual is like you know sad and boring or whatever the exact <laughs> quote is um that i'm just botching right now but i don't care but just there's so many statements in that like in all of his movies that you can kind of hang your hat on as like a life motto it's like you know what are, what are your politics kill everyone now yes <laughs> <laughs> it's such a such movie. a great answer because it's like oh we'll, we'll, we won't ask you about politics anymore and you're like good that's what I want exactly and it's just it's just brilliant and it's just so unabashed and yet this movie which is you know not by by contextual and you know formulaic belief this is not a horror movie but Mm-mm. this movie horrifies people yeah well i mean it's got some very uh, dark subject matter and horrifying things like women being kidnapped and locked up in a basement that's yeah terrifying, that's terrifying. like um, it's trafficking yeah it's and so there's definitely like a darkness to this film and it, that's part of the reason it's so popular and it's um oh poo um what were we just talking about 
Um, uh, we were talking about like the things that she says to like get her to like stop talking about politics and how. Oh, right, right, right. And other lines that we love. I'll just cut to another one of my favorite lines. Beautiful. Was, was when she says, I haven't fallen in love in three whole days. I, like, it reminded me of like any line from Sex in the City could not compete. Like the, I love, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I want divine. And it was also when they were sitting so close together in that trailer that I was like, for everything that is so uh, trashy and filthy and off-putting and, and is supposed to gross you out in this film, the first thing that I was like, oh no, was when they were hugging. <laughs> because of where we are right now in history. And I just was like, oh, that kind of helped me like break through the idea that, you know, there are things that can't go on film because this movie refuses to allow for such talk that there are things that can't be put to film. Oh yeah. But this, when this people get <laughs> when people get so, you know, uptight and so high and mighty about what cinema is and about what you can show and and what you can't, it's like, yeah, but maybe there's going to be a a huge pandemic and the idea of people sitting in a room together is going to be wild. You can only look at the context of when something was made and and then remember the context of where you are now when watching it. And I feel like people can't do that anymore when watching so many things, it's just a bum barrage of things that are catered to them. So when they see something that, that kind of confronts them, they're just, no thank you. It reminds me so much of when, um, and, <laughs> and I, I preface this by saying like, this is not me like trying to be like holier than thou or high and mighty about it. But it's like when younger generations discover like problematic faves, oh. like when someone like discovers Heather's it's so for the cute. first time, <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, and it just kind of like gets me inside. And it's like, no, 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 we know. We know. <laughs> when someone's like, oh, you're a gay horror fan. Have you seen Sleepaway Camp? I'm like, no, no, tell me all about it, please. <laughs> the amount of times that people are like, um, that ending is so problematic. And I'm like, it, yes, we yes. know Yeah, that we ending. know. Oh, that's, but have you seen the rest new. of the movie? Have that's you seen new. Judy? <laughs> I, uh, the only reason I haven't done an episode on Sleepaway Camp is because I kind of want to get my sister <laughs> involved in that episode. Because mm -hmm. uh, she's a counselor and, and, and she's, and she, um, counsels trans kids, but she also studied this horrifying case, uh, uh, the John Money case, which which is a case of some of a doctor like experimenting on raising kids in the gender they weren't assigned at birth to see what would happen. Oh yes, okay, I know about this. I didn't know the name, but now that you said that, I'm like, nope, I know what this is. Right, and and there's a they wrote books, and he was discredited, and they're like, how could? And he's a monster, and it's like, how could you do this? And um, I think whenever I watch Sleepaway Camp, and you know, this is this only goes as far as my experience as a cis person. Um, whenever I see it, I'm like, this is this is not representing a trans person. This is representing somebody who was forced to do something they didn't want to do. Oh yeah. Uh, my, uh, my wife runs a medium page where she analyzes and critiques um, trans representation in cinema. And some of it's like more overt. Um, so something like Sleepaway Camp, she, cause she's a staunch defender of the film for that very reason. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe like, she and my sister should do the podcast they would have together. A blast. They would have a blast. Um, and oh, she, that also, would be great. she also does things like, um, like she did a whole episode about like the affirming presentation that is Dr. Mrs. The Monarch from the Venture Bros and how yeah. like that's a cis character that everybody thinks is trans, but isn't trans and like how that's 
kind of a good thing. Um, it's, Interesting. Yeah, really, really Wasn't cool Venture stuff. Bros, unfortunately, axed earlier this year? Yes. And it was like, wait, they were still... Well, it was it was they were they were in the process of doing their their final season like, that was the big thing because it's oh, also no. they're they one of like the last it? they didn't get to they were and they already had i guess like an episode oh, no that's not cool. already done and they were like nope we're done now so i guess they're gonna do something to finish it maybe like, i think so they have the fan base something. too yeah but it was like, and that was why she wrote the article because she was like right. kind of devastated. She was like, no. Um, and that was supposed to be our Halloween costume this year. She was going to be Dr. And Mrs. The Monarch. <gasps> and I was going to be one of the henchmen. <laughs> and then the world became what it was. Um, I think the Venture Bros, honestly, is like a weird superhero, like John Watersy type world. Like those characters would fit right at Definitely. home with oh, his I, Dreamlanders. I agree. I agree. Having seen only a couple of episodes, I'm like, no, they've got they've got the big bulky guy voiced by Patrick Warburton. They've got mm-hmm. weird people in costumes who just don't play by the rule. This would work. <laughs> yes, it would it would it would work really well. And I this... think and again, like I think that a show like that kind of doesn't exist unless something like John Waters films or like Pink Flamingos are made because they pretty much said like fuck every rule and succeeded and, and, and they give that, you what and they give you what exists on that side of the spectrum mm-hmm. and say why be afraid of it like if you are afraid of this why it, it, ask yourself why and maybe mm-hmm. you'll have some kind of a breakthrough <laughs> yeah i i agree completely it's that's really what it is it's it's john john waters is because he's so smart and if any if you or if anyone listening has not read any of his books like Oh, they're just, they're wonderful. Um, one of his recent ones that I love is, is Carsick, where he's um, like hitchhiking and it's just the stories of the people that he met while hitchhiking. Um, it's great. A lot, the lost art of hitchhiking. Uh, uh, like uh, I was watching people hitchhike on a movie and I was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. I, I would never hitchhike. That's so dangerous. Wh- who would do such a thing? And then like the first thing I did when I turned the movie off was call an Uber pool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is pretty much all it is. <laughs> oh, so designated Karsik, hitchhiking. So Carsick is stories of John Waters from when he hitchhiked. Was this in the seventies, uh, in a particular period, or all throughout his life? Throughout his life. Um, but there's some are there really more recent stories. Of there hitchhiking? are some recent stories in there, and it's just he, John Waters is if if nothing else, he is an academic of people and of humanity and studying you know humans and in different cultures and different backgrounds because an anthropologist yes he's not the store where you can buy the (laughs) most useless things ever no 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 the study of people yes and he he's so fascinated by people and personalities and like why people are the way that they are and i think that that shows through in in a lot of his films because for me, growing up watching John Waters movies, because full disclosure, I watched Serial Mom when I was probably like eight. Oh yeah, um, I was very young. Because my uh, my two, my favorite movie growing up was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And <laughs> oh Serial, right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Serial Mom and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead were like for whatever reason like organized together on like the you know the VHS the, the tape rock, that, yeah, that the my grandma like recorded off of like 
HBO at some point. Oh. And I watched it constantly. And then, of course, that led to, like, finding more John Waters films. And I, like, I loved Hairspray. Um, I've played Tracy Turnblad <laughs> more times than I care to admit because, you know what? Somebody has a resume and you're fat and you can belt and you can dance. You, It's like a rite of passage. Oh, it's you like can when, belt. I remember you singing Penelope Pennywise. Yes, yes, I have. Um, <laughs> I would, I'm growing into my Wilbur. <laughs> I went bald at 20 so like I was always going to be a character guy but I one of the first Broadway musicals I saw was Hairspray and that was kind of my entry into John Waters because I think, I think that's most people at this point yeah point. yeah because my mom was like you know it's a movie and so we watched the movie together first and I'm like well, the musical's going to be different, won't it? Because it's live and it's on stage. And she was like, yes. And do you know who Harvey Firestein is? And she like, <laughs> she was like, she was like, she and I, I, I think we have a similar mind because she and I will like do research before going to do something like oh, before, I'm the same having, before having an experience. And so like, she told me what Torch Song trilogy was so that I would understand how important Harvey Firestein was and how important it was that he was going out there and doing uh, what Divine was doing. He was going out there and, and saying, I'm a woman and, and that's that and that's the character and let's have fun. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember seeing Hairspray and being like, this is fun. What else is there? And when I watch Serial Mom, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This, this is out there. <laughs> that movie, like, I think of all of his films, uh, Female Trouble is, I think, my favorite, but Serial Mom is just, it's, that's like one of my feel good movies. That's like my sick day movie where it's like, I just feel like crap and I just want to like eat comfort food and watch stuff that makes me happy. And it's just usually picture like, Kathleen Turner's knees going in and out, like knocking oh together God. in the courtroom. Oh, so so funny. funny. And just like the sideline, like the, like the side, like throwaway lines, like Matthew Lillard just be like, I'm so happy I can shit. Like, oh God, <laughs> give me all of it. Like, I just, I love the way that John Waters writes people. I think yes. like, I just, I love it. And you know, it all gets its start at Pink Flamingos where yes. it is just full tilt insanity from, you know, moment one. And you know, he's, he's the, the, the Pope of filth and he's, you know, I think the last truly like punk rock, like <laughs> DIY filmmaker that yeah. you know we're probably gonna see because i just don't think that people it just doesn't work like that anymore yeah I, I mean yeah it's it's gotten so much easier to make films so like there are definitely people that are making these counterculture movies that exist but they sort of get they sort of get lost in that distribution because there's yeah. so much content available it's hard to find those movies so it becomes really special when you do find something so you know i don't think that there's ever going to be somebody like john waters that will ever reach like his caliber ever again but that's not to say that there aren't like really awesome like ridiculous like punk ass movies being made and yeah i keep thinking of assassination nation oh my god that movie's incredible just just as a just as a product of its time and and what you said about getting kind of lost in distribution because i loved it and i'm like this is the closest thing anyone has come to kind of uh capturing the breakneck pace of what it's like to be a kid on social media right now right. what oh it's like gosh. to be anyone on social media right now jesus it's so it's such a minefield up, out there and I <laughs> you think, know i think about too um 
I think about like Ricky Bates's filmography and mm. I, I was thinking about it because obviously like Tracy Lords and John Waters are both like you know characters in like excision but I think about that where like that's a movie where it's very much like look at this person that you know most people would think is like this awful ugly you know scum of the earth and I'm going to humanize them for you yeah but also and, the idea that Annalyn McCord is ugly right, right. <laughs> like, like she is so like, gorgeous they reality <laughs> that's I always am like so whenever I am reminded like what Hollywood or what TV nerds or ugly people look like versus what like actual people look like it's astounding when I'm like they just put a hot guy in glasses right she just has a ponytail like that's all we've done <laughs> ponytail one pimple oh my god how can she go out in public she should she should <laughs> how put dare a you bag on her way. excision was another great one who are some of your favorite um you know, because Pink Flamingos isn't necessarily horror. And I said, you don't have to pick a horror mm -hmm. film since that is so much of what you do. And you jumped at the chance to do Pink Flamingos. But who are some of your uh, favorite queer monsters from horror? Ooh, okay. My favorite queer monsters from horror. Uh, yeah. Dracula's Daughter is my number one always. Haven't um, seen it yet. It's on the list. She's, she's tattooed on my arm. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yes, Countess uh, Mariah Zaleska is probably the the big one for me because... And she is a vampire lesbian? She is a vampire lesbian, but what's fascinating to me is... So Dracula and Frankenstein are obviously the two biggest of the Universal Monster movies. Mm -hmm. That's not to say they're the best, but they are the, <laughs> the biggest. That is, yes, um, yes. And then they were both followed up with sequels that featured women. And The Bride of Frankenstein... Um, you know, she is in that movie for like eight seconds and she doesn't actually speak. She's like kind of shrieks at him and then they die. Mm -hmm. um, and yet she's the one who, you know, she's on all the merchandise when they need like the girl monster. Whereas Dracula's daughter, she's the main character and the entire movie is about her, you know, struggling with her vampirism to the point where she seeks like psychological help for it. And it's all coded as her being you know a lesbian and having mm. to like deal with her desires yeah and be treated for those desires vampirism and has often been used to i mean more often i think for lesbians but has often been used to for as a metaphor for like that sexual desire mm -hmm. oh absolutely i mean because the way you have to think about it is like so looking at just the history of vampires in general like carmilla is the novel that inspired OG, bram yeah. stoker's dracula and even there's a lot of you know people who have argued historians cannot confirm or deny whether or not Bram Stoker himself was actually gay, but they believe that he wrote Dracula out of the anxiety of you know his friend Oscar Wilde going to jail for sodomy. Ah. Um, so they're like, yeah, no, that was his response of dealing with his own like closeted feelings because his friend you know just got arrested for it. Mm. Um, so there's like a, a lot of queer coding that happens with vampires. So she's, she's always been my, my big one because, you know, she, she deserves the attention um, that yeah, I think other it, universal monsters don't get. Yeah. Cause I think it's easy for them to choose bride because she has such a distinct look. Mm -hmm. I feel like they, they take the easy route because it would be, I, I'm thinking it would be more difficult to be like, and, and lady Dracula. <laughs> right. Like in her, cause not her enough people is, know about her about that sequel they m are much more aware of bride and i think it's yep. because of that marketing 
Absolutely. It's, it's the marketing. And also because it, you watch like three scenes in that movie and you're like, oh, this is gay. Because, oh, like, she, Bride of like, Frankenstein is very, oh, are you talking Dracula's daughter? I was talking Dracula's daughter. Like, oh, I guess I, Bride is very like, gay too. Like, bride is super gay. <laughs> bride is very gay, but it's not, it's not about the bride. It's about uh, uh, Pretorius and Dr. Frankenstein. Like mm-hmm. that's what makes the movie gay and campy. And it's often, uh, touted as one of the gayest horror movies or a very queer coded horror oh yeah it's it's super gay and then i also get like i get so mad though about the marketing of that because like there's so many daughter is more explicit one it's more explicit (laughs) but like i think about like the bride and frankenstein that's like here's bride and and monster salt very binary and his and hers like towels and it's like no 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 she didn't like him she (laughs) hated him and he was so heartbroken about the rejection that he killed them. This is, we should not be looking at this as like, oh, how romantic. Like, no, <laughs> this is bad. This is not romantic. That's like every Disney movie. It's not romantic. No, the straightness in this got them killed. Like, let's not go there. The straightness <laughs> always gets us killed. Yep. I'm tired of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where it is. So she's uh, she's my number one. Um, Jerry Dandridge, obviously, like I, my obsession with Fright Night is unhealthy. Yes, I let let a, that character of Chris Sarandon be the queer icon. Yes, I have a full ass shrine to that movie in my room. I have written so much about him and that character and what it means to me because that was one of the the earliest moments where I knew, like. It wasn't like, oh, I think I really, like, it wasn't a ring of keys moment where it's like, <laughs> oh, I feel like maybe we're similar, but I don't understand why. I, like, watched this and was like, oh, this is gay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and it, like, so am I. And it clicked immediately, and I was like, oh, this is for me. I'm and gay. This movie's gay. I want all the gay movies exactly. and all the gays. <laughs> where are they? Exactly. So it was, uh, it was definitely a, a big one a really big one for me so that's you know that's something um I also have always argued I I think you can do a really queer read on Carrie and oh absolutely she's always been you know somebody like that movie fascinates me on so many levels I'm actually more obsessed with Margaret White than I am with (laughs) Carrie because me too so much I love it (laughs) I have such an unhealthy obsession with reading about women from um, these sort of puritanical like subcultures or religious subcultures like I have a collection of Amish romance novels like written by Amish people because I am so fascinated by the idea of somebody what? writing about like I looked into the fields and I dreamt of holding Jebediah's hand this must be what electricity feels like like it's <laughs> pretty much yeah like it's like it's like two sentences talking about like wanting to be with somebody that they're not betrothed to and then four chapters of guilt. And it's like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with this. Like that I want to, I, I just, I can't get enough of it. So Margaret White, like I'm fascinated by her. I love be- Margaret White. Because as much as like, yeah, she is a villain and she is like a religious nightmare. Ultimately, I think that she is going through something that a lot of She's a victim people. too, yeah. She's a victim and she goes through something that so many queer people go through, which is like knowing who you are and having everything around you and everything that ha- you've been raised to think telling you that you can't be that way. 
and that's right. hard and like that can do some really like fucked up stuff to your mm-hmm. head and like unfortunately she's kind of like the result of what happens when yeah, the, when hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. exactly so those are i would say those are probably those are my three big ones for sure well, I love all of them. Um, we've been talking for uh, like 90 minutes and I should let you go eat dinner and <laughs> yes, say hi please, to your you. wife and and tell her that we have a great idea for a future episode. You are an incredible horror writer, an incredible presence uh, in the horror community, and you have a podcast out right now that is not about horror. It's about... It isn't. <laughs> It's about so, what now? So, um, and this actually started out, it was birthed of quarantine. Um, so as, as, as said, we must do. As I said, my wife is transgender, which also means that her experiences growing up are very different than mine because she was socialized uh, as, as, as a boy, mm-hmm. which means that a lot of the movies that I hold dear were completely off her radar and you know if if you don't have somebody showing them to you how would you know to even look for them so we have a podcast called this ends at prom and it is dedicated to teen girl movies and analyzing you know what they say about womanhood how they hold the test of time and it's coming from my perspective of somebody who loves them and makes I'm, I'm a teen girl movie apologist um, and then my wife, who has zero nostalgia for any of them and sometimes throws me into absolute chaos because I have to rethink um, everything, everything that I you know about teen movies. About a movie where it's like, oh, wait, 10 Things I Hate About You is secretly really bad. Oh, oh it is? Oh, no. Is, oh, my God. It's I'm going to have to listen to that episode. To find I had out a why. full breakdown, full breakdown where oh, we were watching no. it together and I was like, Oh no, you're right. I actually don't like what this movie has to say. I've been lied to my entire life. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot in that movie that's like, oh no. But luckily, um, Alice and Janney oh, gosh, remains, incredible. remains inimitable. Oh, heinous bitch is the phrase used most often. Just uh, her delivery and everything. <laughs> I love when whenever we see what she's writing or, uh, what, you know. At, Engorged. It, <laughs> try to mescent i don't know she's incredible um and you're also you've directed films um i have, I have, a, I have a, a feature film out called powerbomb it's a horror thriller character study um about the world of professional wrestling um i have my two short films labrys which is queer horror and um, I do have a Margaret White fan film called Margaret. Um, those are both <laughs> yes. um, And then I am one of the contributing directors to the anthology December that is due out later this year. Is it coming um, out in December, perhaps? I hope so. <laughs> it would be ridiculous if it didn't, but... Uh, December, coming this January. Oh my God, I'm so upset. I'm pretty sure it's coming out in, in December, but... Uh, yes, I directed. Or is it winter themed, or Christmas themed, or so just it's an cold? it's it's presented as an advent calendar. <gasps> oh, I love that. So there's like 24 of them, I believe, and then you know some of the other directors, like Sam Weinman's a director. Excellent. Barati, Amalia, Vivian Vaughn, um, like, and then you also have like people like Lucky McKee and Trent Trent Haga and. Ruggiero Diodato, who made Cannibal Holocaust, is one Ruggiero of the Ruggiero Diodato, he's yes! the one. It's, 
like, here's the deal. Like when I got the job to do it, I was like, yay, this is exciting. And then when I got the email that was like, here's who else is directing. I like almost threw up. Oh my goodness. What? Um, so yes. And I think did you it's get just, to meet the other directors? No, we did not. We all uh -huh. shot, you know, separate and did our own thing. But what's also kind of fun is uh, the one that I worked on is the only is the only American one that is not in like a coastal area. So mm. we have like real snow, which is like such a dumb thing to be <laughs> proud of. But I was like, ours is like it's outside, and there's we can snow. actually do winter here. Yeah, and uh, did you my, film in Cleveland? We actually filmed, what's, what's funny is uh, the same year that my nephew, John Waters, he acts in this because he is an actor. Um, and it was him and his, and his dad are our leads. And it's really close to where they live in kind of like the middle of nowhere, Ohio, where it is just like fields of snow and forest. So everywhere. it's a frozen Phoenix, Maryland. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> like we, we shot in like the middle of like, we're talking like Trump, Ohio, like middle oh of nowhere. You know, so, driving through Pennsylvania, my sister lives in Pennsylvania uh, and we go to Pittsburgh. Well, we used to <laughs> when we could travel. In the before driving times. Driving through Pennsylvania is so wild because not only do people like love Trump, they erect statues and uh -huh. paint barns. Oh, oh yeah. Oh like people yeah. Are very, very in love with this man who is very, very sick. Yes, it's um like it's it really <laughs> it really is one of those situations where I'm like we need like cult deprogramming. Like it's at that level. We're there. 30% 30% of the country is going to need to go to depro This is getting Orwellian, but in reverse. <laughs> yes, like that's the only way I can describe it. Like it is very Orwellian where it's like Oh no no! Like there's just like there is something fundamentally you are brainwashed. In this. Yeah. yeah, like it's wild. Mm -hmm. And on that wonderful note, beautiful. <laughs> anything else? Uh, 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 anything else you want to promote? Any? Mm. Where can people find your articles? You can find everything because uh, I don't have like a set home because I work freelance. But you can find pretty much anything that I do. Get BJ uh, to write articles for you. Twitter and Instagram. It's just my name at BJ Clansel. I also did my TikTok. Um, so I make dumb things there. They're not good. It's fine. Um, recently, but, I recently read your uh, essay on I Spit on Your Grave in the Hidden Horror and, uh, essay. And oh, yes. essay. Everyone should read it. Thank you. That's in there. And if, if you buy the I Spit on Your Grave box set that just came out, it comes with the documentary <gasps> Growing Up, I Spit on Your Grave. And it is my it was the first time I was ever in a documentary, but I shot my segment for that like eight years ago. Excellent. I look like, I don't know her. I don't know. <laughs> like all these people keep sending me screenshots and they're like, you look so different. I'm like, I know <laughs> I'm a child. Cause at that point I was like 22. Um, so I'm, I'm in that too. Yeah. That's one of my other, my go-tos is I, I also, in addition to analyzing horror and queer cinema I also do analyze exploitation film uh, typically mm -hmm. like rape revenge film yeah and like this one which is kind of like the gay cannibal holocaust I mean it kind of is <laughs> animals are dying for real and uh, people are getting chopped up and eaten yeah yeah and, they are and they're being assholes <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much BJ uh for doing this I had a blast having you on the show 
Thank you for having me and letting me wax poetic about um, my father, John Waters. Ah, uh, yes, Daddy, Daddy John, Daddy Waters. <laughs> father John Waters instead of Father John Misty. I don't even know. Yes, Father John Waters. Oh, oh my God, why has no one done that before? <laughs> do, do, Water, do Father Mist, John Misty covers. It's like, it's like Wonder Twins. It's perfect. They should do a double bill. Oh, my God. Oh, I would die. That'd be hilarious. At the Alamo Draft House. That would uh. be so funny. Oh, and as always, you can find me at Joshua Simon Says on Twitter and Instagram. You can find my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash gagpod. That's www.patreon.com slash G-A-G-P-O-D. And uh, you can like and, and subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Um, it can be good or bad. Honestly, I love reading the bad reviews too. They're kind of funny. And um, yeah, just keep listening to this silly show that I'm doing so I can keep having awesome people like BJ come and talk about exploitation and horror movies. So BJ, do you want to say goodbye to the gremlins with me? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, say bye gremlins. Bye gremlins. Bye.